Hello. I welcome you once again back to Pastor B's kitchen table right here where we chop it up, break it down, and put it back together again. Uh, today's a brand new day, and we thank God for this glorious day that we have. I want to talk to you today. I need to talk to you right here, right now. Uh, for the past few weeks, I've been dealing with the issue related to uh, affair-proofing your marriage, about what boundaries you can set, what steps you can take, what guards you can implement to protect your marriage. And many of you have, 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 have infused some of those. You've been talking about those. I've got great dialogue. I brought guests in, and we, and we did a dialogue about it. I brought people in the interview. I brought you quotes. I brought you a myriad of things. We've opened the Word of God and see what the Word of God says about it. We've done all these things related to how to make sure that the marriage remains sacred and it re remains in which is just the fidelity between you and your spouse. But today what I want to talk about, because I preached a message on Sunday here at the church, and I got a lot of feedback about that message. And so, and one of the pressing issues, one of the burning questions becomes, is, Pastor, what happens when they do commit adultery? Yeah, yeah, you're trying to affair-proof the marriage. You're trying to make sure that there are no outside intruders come into the relationship. But what do we do when it does happen? What do we do when the vow gets broken? Isn't that where you are today? Oh, yeah, you understand a perfect panacea when everything goes right, everything goes well, everything's hunky-dory, and we're just zooming along, and we're loving each other and having each other, enjoying our marriage bed, and we're just living our best life. But what do we do? when it seems like that somebody decided, not do I only, only want to step out, but also I want to stay out. I know that we watch Hollywood, and we watch all the great celebrities, and you know, with all their makeup, and all their cuts, and all their, all their insertions, and, and all their the great, the great physiques, and all the great lifestyle, and limousines, and, and Bugattis, and all of that. And it seems like that they go from relationship to relationship to relationship with no downtime. That, that there doesn't seem to be any pain. That they're married on Monday, they're divorced on Friday, and the next Monday, they're dating someone else. They're out on the beach on, <laughs> on the Riviera. Doesn't seem to be any pain, any anguish, any hurt, any regret, any, any, any bitterness. It just seems as if they're just flowing through life on a string from one relationship to the next. But you know that's not how it works. And I've got some questions here today that have been brought to my attention. And I want to address these because what you see on television, what you hear on radio, what you read in your favorite tabloid about it, just a seamless transition is not a reality. And so I want to talk about what do we do, what do you do, what must we do when it comes we find out that our mate has not been faithful. The passage that I preached on Sunday came out of Matthew chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. And these religious leaders came and asked Jesus... Is it allowable, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason at all? In other words, they had a cultural belief that if you were dissatisfied with your spouse, for whatever reason it may be, too tall, too short, too big, too small, too smart, too slow, whatever the, the, the personal offense may have been, they just simply got rid of her. That was a culture they lived in. And it also applies that, that women, of course, not that culture, but not culture, women do the very same thing. Whenever they're, they're tired of him, he doesn't fit into the, to the paradigm, he doesn't fit into the, the business contract, doesn't fit into the social strata or the social structure, we just move on. And so we understand the concept, and Jesus starts talking about that, that marriage is more than that. Marriage is more than simply a quick transition and getting out. Marriage is, is for life, it's forever. And yet he gave a very an exceptional clause. He gave an exclusion clause. He gave a way out. 
And he makes it very, very narrow. And he says, except for the cause of immorality, pornea, uh, any unsanctified, any unauthorized sexual union with somebody who's not your spouse. He made it very, very narrow. Because they were using everything under the sun to say that I'm going to get out of this marriage. You hear that today, don't you? Irreconcilable difference. No fault divorce. We just grew apart. He doesn't make enough money. She won't cook. A myriad of issues. But that's not what he did. So I want to address some of the questions that came to me related to those whose spouse stepped out and many have wanted to stay out. Here's the first question. They asked the question, how do you restore the marriage when a spouse does commit adultery and you want to stay? How do you restore it? How, does that, how can there be reconciliation when they stepped out and based on what the scripture says, you have an out because they've committed infidelity. They've committed uh, pornea. They've committed unsanctified, unauthorized, unholy sex. They've created a union with somebody else. And, and the question becomes is that does the other party want to stay? Because you can't reconcile, you can't have restoration with just one party. In Romans 12, Paul talks about that as much as depends on you, be at peace with all people. The idea being is that you can't be at peace with all people unless they want to be at peace with you. There must be a two-way street. So my question becomes is whether or not the man or the woman who stepped out, do they really, really want to step back in? Because they may have stepped out and they plan on staying out. So when it comes to restoring it, the first thing has to be their desire to remain in the marriage. You've got to settle that once and for all. Do they really want to stay married or do they simply want access to you? There's a very big difference. That you have a marital covenant, you have a, a marital arrangement, you have, you have ordained by God, you're married. And you've got to know whether or not they're really still committed to the covenant. The covenant has been broken. But are they still committed to the marriage? You have got to know that unequivocally. It can't just simply be that, okay, I got caught. Or somehow someone told on me. It must be a, a, a heart of genuine repentance and a desire to be back in a relationship in the marriage with you. So that's the first part. Here's another one. The question became, the marriage bed, according to what God said in Hebrews 13, 4, is undefiled. So, so what do you do when the spouse has been out there? They've committed adultery on you. They've been out there. And now, obviously, they've learned some new tricks while they're out there for the marriage bed. Or they've been heavily influenced by the pornography. And now they're back. You're trying to work on your marriage. And they're back, but they want you to perform sexually as what they experienced on the outside. Whether through that, through that adulterous relationship or whether it was through pornography. In other words, they got exposed to some new things that, that really uh, tantalized and, and they really uh, inflamed their flesh. They liked the way that that move was. They liked that position. They liked that, and I'm getting very graphic here, I know, because you know exactly what I'm talking about. They liked the way that they felt the morning after. And now they're back in the marriage, and you know, you know that this was not part of your marriage, baby. What do you do? Well, the Bible talks about the marriage bed being undefiled. Obviously, they've defiled the marriage bed because they went into a, a sexual union with someone else. Obviously, that has happened. However, God never just allows us to be treated as an object. 
In other words, a person's care for you is tied to the totality of your being as a person. You're not simply a sex object. You're not simply a release. You're not simply a mechanism for ejaculation. No, 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 no. You are a full man, full woman. And so if anyone's going to deal with your body, they also got to deal with your spirit. They got to deal with your heart. They got to deal with your emotions. They got to deal with your mind. That's why God talks about us loving him with our everything. They got to be loving you with your everything. You can't just be some comparative instrument to something they saw on YouTube or something they saw on Pornhub or something in which they experienced with some man or some woman. That's not their spouse unless they are literally loving you. And you feel that connectivity. I know the Bible said in 1 Corinthians 7 that our bodies are not, not our own. And we should only just, just, just not be engaged in sexual union for prayer and to focus on God. But, but this is a whole new ballgame here. There has to be a sense of trust. Intimacy is mandatory. And so unless you can really feel comfortable and feel the intimacy and feel the oneness, you're going to feel like a prostitute. You're going to feel as if you are just someone who's just been bought for the night. And you can't operate like that. So you got to communicate what you feel. Communicate what's going on. And if there's been infidelity, if there's been adultery, it may be a minute before you actually feel comfortable showing your body. you got to have conversation. you got to have talk. Because you can't be competing against some imaginary person that you may not have never seen that you don't know anything about. So you can't go down that road and allow yourself merely to be an instrument of someone else's desire, dream, or pleasure. I hope you get that today. Because a lot of times what people assume is that the person left them only for the sexual relationship. Therefore, when they come back, you try to outdo what you perceive they may have done while they were outside the bed. But sex, according to what God says, is never simply just about the physical act. It's about the connectivity, it's the oneness. It's consummated in a physical act. But there's a whole lot more. You heard the old adage that sex begins in the kitchen. What they're talking about is that you can't just quarantine it to the bedroom. It's all about the, the whole of your being and who you are. You need to receive that today because no matter how good you may be in bed, that if this person's heart is not centered on the Lord and on you, then, then you can never do enough. If the person is caught up in pornography, Pornography is so addictive because it has an illusion. It has a fantasy. That's not a reality. Those kind of men, those kind of women don't really exist. Not like that. Because it's more than simply that. That's why so many people can be so freaky and yet be so lonely. So don't let yourself go down that road. There must be the, the conversation. There must be the, there must be the totality of saying, wait a minute, I'm a person. Look at me. Talk to me. Be with me. Can you have oneness outside the bed? Or do you only feel like they really want you inside the bed when you're naked? You got to address that once and for all. Here's another one. How do I deal with the anger of being cheated on? Say amen. Because you should be angry. If you're not angry, you got a loose screw somewhere. If you're not angry about your spouse breaking the covenant marriage, being with somebody else, enjoying somebody else, something's wrong. The Bible says that we can be angry but don't sin. When does anger turn to sin? It turns to sin when we start trying to execute the consequence of the sin playing God.
The Bible says, God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So whenever you start executing, when you start feeling as if that you've been so offended that now you're going to play God and really carrying out the penalty for their selfish action. But you should be angry. Nothing wrong with being angry. You should be, you should be hotter than fish grease. You should be angry about it. There's nothing at all wrong with that. A righteous indignation. When Jesus tore up the temple, he was, he was angry, but it was a righteous indignation for God, for God's holiness, God's worth, God's, God, God's honor. And so that's what really it should be. Your anger should be, yeah, that someone offended you, but also this marital covenant that God gave. He or she thought so little of the covenant that they were treated as, as, as a trivial institution. That should anger you because you understand that behind all this is an adversary. The devil is, is at work. Because the Bible says that a Christian's marriage represents Christ in the church. It shows how God deals with us, how God loves us, how God labors with us, how God matures us, how God stays, how God forgives us, how God's merciful towards us. It demonstrates to a, to, a, to a visible world the invisible relationship between us and God. And so you understand that your anger is that because the adversary has deceived. He's a deceiver. He's a trickster. He's a liar, the father of lies, that the father of lies has duped in. So I'm mad at my spouse, and I'm also mad at what the devil has done. And so nothing wrong with being angry. You should be angry. I'm just saying don't go to the point of being so angry that you start firing off rounds with your Glock or your 9mm. Don't be so angry that you take up a sword and start chasing them or chopping them. Don't be so angry that you get in a car and run over them again and again and again. Don't get that angry in which you take the law into your own hand. No, no, no. The Bible says, leave room for God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. So your anger, you must, you must, you must throw that anger and cast that anger upon the Lord. Let them know how angry you are. Let them know how disappointed you Let them know, absolutely. But don't ever let the anger catapult you into an arena in which you can't come back from. So you have allowed it to happen. The anger should not cause you to internalize the pain so much that you consider even taking your own life because I'm, I'm worthless, I'm lost now. No, no, no. Your life is bigger than a mate. You, you belong to God. And because you belong to God, God won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He won't dupe you. He won't deceive you. And he won't leave you high and dry. You, you claim who you are, your authority, your personhood, who you are in the image of God. you got to claim that in difficult times just like this. Here's another one. What about when you want to get out, but you only stay because of the children? Let's, let's talk about that one for a minute. Because you have biblical grounds, you have the grounds, and you want to get out. But you're buying your time for the children. Now, that's interesting, because a lot of times people want to get out. They want to get out of the marriage. There's a biblical out. You have a biblical out. And yet, because of reputation, because of what family members are going to say, uh, because of what the kids may say, whether they're in elementary school, middle school, high school, whatever, uh, what do you do? Well, the marriage takes priority first and foremost. You've got to know what God unequivocally is telling you. That's the most important thing. Because if you stayed, then how do you stay? Are you staying by sleeping in separate rooms? 
Are you staying by sleeping in separate corridors of the house? Are you staying by you getting a little something or someone on the side for yourself because they've offended you and hurt you and abused you so, so egregiously that now you've got a boyfriend, you've got a girlfriend, so you guys are simply roommates? That's a great question, isn't it? Are you roommates? Are you cellmates? Or are you soulmates? And I think a lot of times we turn into cellmates. We're in this prison together. And I'm saying that, listen, you got to come to some real conclusion that if God is leading you to get out, then you do what God tells you to do. If God is leading you to stay, then you must stay because God told you so and not simply because of the children. Because if God told you to stay, then obviously he wants you to work on it while you are there. If you're only there for the cause of the children, then as soon as the children are of age or they leave for whatever reason may be, guess what? You're out the door also. In fact, emotionally, you're already out the door. So to talk about do you stay, you, you stay because God ordained you to stay if he told you that. But as I read in the text here, he said except for immorality, except for adultery, except for some type of sexual lewdness, some type of unsanctified sex, adultery, bestiality, lesbianism, homosexuality, pedophilia, all those things. All these unsanctified sex expressions and interactions that God's talking about. But should you stay because of the kids? That's what some of you are right now. You say, I want my kids to be in a good school district. I want my kids to, to be able to be in a good neighborhood. I want my kids to understand this is their house. I don't want my kids to leave that. I understand all that. But you got to deal with the gray issue of all. And that is the voice of God. What is God telling you to do? Because the last time I checked the Bible, the Lord is our provider. The Lord is our protector. The Lord is our security. The Lord is our shelter. The Lord guards our going out and our coming in. It's the Lord. You don't make some kind of contractual agreement for your safety and your security because you don't trust God. So you got to make that decision. So what is God? Is God telling you to go? Go. God telling you to stay, you stay with everything that you have and minister and nurture your children. Get the help you need for your marriage because you decide to stay. If you try to stay, you're staying there because you want to seek restoration and reconciliation. That is a tough question, but that's what you've got to be able to do. What about this one? Will I be able to remarry? If you get a biblical out, you get a biblical back in. If you divorced... Because God has given you the biblical wherewithal. And understand this. It does not mean that because your spouse committed sexual sin or committed adultery that the morning after you run to the courthouse. Even as a child of God, you've got to hear what the Lord is telling you to do. And so you got to know because there is, in chapter 18 of Matthew, he talks about Forgiveness, about 70 times 7. I know some of you think that's just crazy. You don't want to hear that. And that's the last, I may sound like your grandmother, your grandfather, or, your, or, or someone you listen to on the way home on the metro bus. But I'm saying is that if God gives you a biblical out, you get a biblical back in. You can remarry. But you need to make sure that it's according to what the scripture says. And you need to make sure that, in fact, you are not simply just jumping into another marriage to get back at the one who violated you in the first marriage. That's so that's one of the reasons why second marriages don't work. And third marriage, even the odds become even less and less. Because the reason being is so many times we haven't dealt with the ramifications. We haven't dealt with the hurt 
the pain, the actual personal issues related to what caused the whole disintegration of the first marriage. So we try to find solace and support and a spouse quickly in the next marriage. And I'm saying that unless you deal with the issues that caused the first demise, I'm not saying it's all your fault, I'm not saying it's all your fault, not all his fault, only you would know that. But I am saying there's something about if you're going to remarry, it must be according to the Lord's will. Now I know I'm talking to people right now, and you jump out of a marriage, and now you're back into a marriage, and now you realize that the marriage you jumped out of was not for a biblical reason. You got out of it because you were sick and tired of his mouth, her mouth. You were sick and tired that there, there may have been physical abuse. You got out of it because somebody had a baby in another relationship. You, you, you got out of it because, because a family member told you to get out of it. You got out of it because it embarrassed you. You got out of it because, because they weren't making any money and they were living off you. You got out of it. Oh, yes, you did. I am saying that, listen, you got to hear God about getting out of these marriages. Because marriage is a divine institution. And God is the one who's the superintendent. He's the sovereign one over marriages. Marriage in some human construct, we would never have a monogamous marriage. God did this. So if you're going to do anything, and, and the next person that you get with, they need to be a believer, need to be saved. And not just someone who says they're saved, not someone who goes to church you know, on Easter, Mother's Day, and Christmas, but someone who literally, you know, walks with the Lord. And also, here's another question. What's the status of their previous relationship? If they've been married before, why did they divorce? What led to their divorce? And where is the spouse? How many children they have? How many times have they been married? What issues are they dealing with as they consider a new marriage? you got to cover all that territory because the marriage is a bonding. It's a oneness. It's a gluing. It's a cementing together. That's why whenever you get a divorce, it's like ripping off a limb. It hurts for a long, long time. There's no such thing as, as a pain-free divorce. Somebody always gets damaged. It's like dropping a bomb and thinking, blow up, dreams blow up, and children blow up, and, and, and in-laws blow up, and minds, but it just blow up, and some of you know what I'm talking about, that's where you are today, so if you're going to remarry, you do get a biblical back in, you need to make sure that you have a biblical back in, and God's giving you a back in, uh, here's the last one, um, how do I know what God wants me to do, in other words, you got them dead right, you know they've done it, and it ain't the first time they've done it. Because that's the issue that he's talking about, this repeated act, this unrepentance. If you're dealing with someone who's repentant and they want to reconcile, they want the forgiveness, they want to take the necessary steps to get better, to restore and reconcile, they wouldn't go through the counseling and the training and the confession of sin. They will confess the sin and turn away from the sin. Because the Bible says he who confesses and forsakes his sin shall find the compassion of God. They wouldn't do that. But someone who's arrogant, Someone who's self-willed and self-centered that's trying to push you or rush you into getting back with them and letting them back in the house and letting them back in the bedroom and trying to push you just to get over it, just was going through something. That's a whole other. The Bible talks about 
bringing forth fruit in keeping with repentance. John the Baptist talks about that in John, John, John 3, uh, John 2. He talks about the fact that he calls those religious leaders uh, hypocrites, a brood of vipers, serpents, he calls them serpents. And he talks about that if you're genuinely repentant, then bring forth fruit in keeping with righteousness. The idea being is, is that it's necessary that you must be someone who also it manifests it. It shows that you're really, really repentant. And it shows that by what? By the fruit. So here's the question. What fruit do you see? By knowing what God wants you to do in that situation, because the question is, do I stay or do I go? You got to deal with the fruit. Do you see genuine repentance towards God? Is their heart broken towards God? Is, is, is their heart just literally just torn apart all because of God? Or, 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 or is it that you find them that now that their heart is torn or torn apart because they know that, that, that you found out? That is a major issue. I'm looking for something in this text here. And so, so that becomes the actual greatest issue. What, what are we dealing with? Are we dealing with a heart that's self-centered on get over it? Or we deal with a heart of a let's let God get through it. In James 1, James 1, uh, 5 through 6, the Bible talks about the importance that if you lack wisdom, ask God. James 1, 5 through 6, if you lack wisdom, you can certainly ask God. And God who gives it, who gives it to you if you ask in faith, not being double-minded. And God will certainly give it to you. So what you need right now is wisdom. You need the wisdom of God to know Okay, God, what do I do? What should I be doing now? What steps should I take right now? God's got to give you the wisdom. In, in, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah uh, chapter 48, uh, God talks about the importance that, 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 that I am your God. I am your redeemer. Uh, I will lead you. Uh, and if you stand and listen to me, I'll guide you where you need to go. But what you're looking for in them, that decision, is, is in John 3, 8, uh, bear fruit and keep with repentance. What's the repentance like? Do you see it? Because as I said in the very beginning, you can't reconcile with someone who don't want to reconcile. You just, you, it's just impossible. And so, so don't do anything. Now, they know where the courthouse is. If they want to go to the courthouse, that's on them. But, 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 but you don't do anything until God tells you to do it. Because in the good times, in the bad times, in the sad times, in the high times, we're still people who are governed by the word of God. We want to be pleasing to God. In this life, it's hard down here, isn't it? And relationships are difficult. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that if you get married, you haven't seen. But he said, yet you're going to have problems. It's going to be difficult. Marriage is hard. You got your own flesh from the inside. You got a worldly system on the outside. And you got an adversary against you, the Satan himself, the adversary, pulling and trying to destroy and destroy your witness and your work for the Lord. It's hard. Oh, but I bring you good news. It works. You're not the first one that has encountered a relationship with someone who was not faithful. You're not the first one that had someone who's been caught up in the, in, in the sinful hate behavior of adultery. And yet I can testify that I've seen people who've come through. I've seen marriages been restored. I've seen marriages get healed. I've seen people who've been there, been on, been on the very brink of the courthouse. And God healed them and stored them. And God tore up the very divorce decree and they remarried. I've seen that. And God blessed them and used them. So, so never undermine, never underwrite. This ain't just some human enterprise. No, God is at work. 
and God is working on your behalf. Oh, I, I pray for every man, every woman that gave me a question. I pray for you as you're watching me right now because where you are today, you're at a crossroads. You're at a crossroads between your will and his will. As you said, as I said in the very beginning, it all's hunky-dory. It's all great. When you're loving him and she's loving you and you're loving the kids and you're loving the church, you're doing ministry together, you're going on vacations together, you're having a great time, you're getting fit, you're getting fine together, and everything is just great. And yet, when the vow breaks, when the bottom falls out, what do you do? When you find yourself sleeping single in a double bed, what do you do? When you walk the floor all night and he or she has not come home nor called, what do you do? When you hear word on the streets that they're not only out, but they're going to be out. What do you do when you come to church and everybody's booed up and yet your boo is nowhere to be found? What do you do? You trust God. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will. Make your path straight. That ain't just some preacher talk. That ain't just some Christian cliche. That's the reality. That we live and we move and we have our being by God. And God will take care of you. The devil is a lie. And we win. Even when it feels like for a season that we're losing. Call your mama. Call your daddy. Call your auntie. Call big mama. Go find somebody. Tell them to come here to Pastor B's kitchen table. We're chopping it up. We're breaking it down, and we're putting it back together again. And I look forward to seeing you next week right here at the kitchen table. Be blessed, be holy, and be used by God. Mm -hmm.